Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Aspire and Inquire. Today, as always, we have another amazing guest on the show. Today, we have Keith Corso, a, a current student at Northeastern University, but also the CEO and founder of a venture-backed company that, that's really starting to make some interesting moves and scale. So, Keith, how are you? I am doing well. I'm doing well back in uh, New York here, which has been interesting, as I will be over the next several months, usually based out of Boston. So, um, it's good to spend some time with family and uh, you know soak up the fresh air. How about yourself? I was lucky enough to come home for a little bit as well and great to catch up and I'm really excited to have you feature on the show. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I've, I've heard great things. I know you've been uh, cranking away on this podcast for some time, so it's good to reconnect here. So, so Keith, you are the CEO and founder of BusRite, a company and an app that keeps track of school bus passengers, pinpoints the location of buses in transit, and calculates optimal routes using GPS technology and Google Maps. I'm sure you're you're going to tell me more about. We're going to talk a lot about bus right, but some of the major goals, as I understand it, are aiming to curb carbon emissions, reduce transportation costs for bus companies, and improve the quality of life for drivers, passengers, and parents alike. And and of course, you're doing all of this while being technically a full time student at Northeastern University in Boston, which is pretty insane, pretty incredible, uh, and I'm excited to. Ask about how you're uh, able to balance those and so much more, but but prior before we do that, um, is there anything else you'd like to say regarding introducing yourself? No, I think that's a great way to start in terms of providing background as well. If we dive into the kind of you know being a student founder, working you know in and out of the ecosystem that is Boston and also Northeastern more broadly, and we could dive into the rest of the, the origin story from there. But you know, happy to kick things off here. That's a that's a great place to start. Actually, let's go right into the origin story. So, I love this story. I know it quite well by now. But so, yeah, could you talk about the origin story and how you and your co-founder met? Yeah. So um, I was actually, you know, took the bus growing up and was waiting outside in the, in the frigid winter mornings here in New York. You know, wondering was I ten minutes early? Was I ten minutes late to the bus stop? And I'd often call the school district and, and the transportation office, and they had absolutely no idea. And that was just a, a whole other realm of frustration kind of growing up. But the tipping point was when I was a senior in high school, and I was driving behind the school bus that I took uh, for many years. And I realized that the school bus had made you know four consecutive stops, and not one student had gotten off at each stop. And so I realized just how inefficient it was to build those static routes, you know, once a year at best and pretty much build routes with the assumption that 100% of students that go to an X school will also be taking the bus because we know that, you know, Keith and Ben are playing tennis after school or meeting with our teachers, etc. And so I just realized that there could be a better way of doing things. And uh, I think technology can help solve that, which we'll get into in a little bit. But that's more or less uh, kind of the origin story. Yeah, it's amazing. And and it's it just brings me to think about there are so many common issues in our day-to-day that if you're just paying attention to it, like you were sitting behind the buses, there are a lot of issues in this world to solve and that, that can be solved. So I think being coming an entrepreneur and solving a meaningful issue in the world, I think a lot of it is just paying attention to some of the issues themselves, no? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, most people look at that big yellow school bus that goes, you know, they, they pass by and they might get stuck behind as well. 
and there might be, you know, 10, 15, 20 that are part of these school districts that people see. And so it feels like a really small problem. Okay, great. You know, Johnny doesn't get off the bus at stop five. That, you know, who cares? But when you actually look into the macro trends facing the industry, number one, school buses are the largest mass transit system in the entire country. In fact, if you combine every other form of mass transit, airline, rail, etc., combine those, you still don't have the number of vehicles that make up the school bus system. So I think that it has largely been overlooked for decades, if not centuries. And uh, when you think about it kind of at a broader scale, it just makes you realize the inefficiencies that, that are hitting this country because of school buses. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even just your example alone, being behind school buses and seeing stops that are made just because that's their typical route, but three, four, five stops in a row. Kids aren't getting off. There's the school, there's the cars behind it that are stopping and releasing even, even more carbon emissions. You've got parents that aren't seeing their kids as soon as they'd like and having no clue where they are. So I really think you're solving a big issue here for sure. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, you know, you think about total expenditure for student transportation, it's well over $25 billion. Again, most people don't realize that school buses alone make up anywhere between 5 to 10%, if not more, of a, of a district's budget. And that's a really big line item that does not get enough attention. So That's incredible. I had no clue it was that much, but that that's a very significant expenditure. That means if you can make this route more efficient, uh, routes more efficient for buses, you're saving a significant amount of money for districts. Yeah, that, that's kind of the idea. Um, so you hit it on the nail there. So so you're still in college. You have a pretty well-funded, venture-backed, scaling business with pretty impressive proprietary technology. I know for, for many of my peers and close friends, being an entrepreneur is is a huge desire. But I feel like not many really know what it takes to become an, uh, an op- entrepreneur in in the state that you are, in the sense of how far along in the process you are. So I'd love to hear from a founder on the on the road to success. What does it take to be a, a founder on the road to the subjective uh, success? Sure, sure. Uh, it's a good question. I think. You mentioned that, quote unquote, a lot of your friends want to become entrepreneurs. First off, I think entrepreneurship is, is over glorified. It is a, a grueling um, you know, a, a career path to go down. And oftentimes you don't get rewarded for a lot of your hard work. Uh, so that's first and foremost. Second is that a lot of people become entrepreneurs because they're tired of having a bad manager or they hate their boss and they hate having to report to you know, two three people. But quite frankly, when you start your own business, Instead of reporting to two, three people, you're now reporting to, you know, 10, 20, 30 plus investors. You're reporting to your entire team every week, if not every day. You're reporting to your customers. They're constantly asking, you know, how is your product improving? What does the roadmap look like? So on and so forth. And the list goes on. And so what people don't realize also is that a large part of your job is just reporting to the many forms of, of managers and bosses that you do have if you're, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be in that position of, of kind of leading your own business, which is a little bit contradictory to a lot, uh, the reason why a lot of people get into this space in the first place. In the world of, you know, a, a venture-backed startup, you need to have conviction that your idea can become a billion-dollar opportunity. 
if you don't realize that, then you don't realize how your investors actually make money at the end of the day, and you don't realize venture math. Um, the, the clear math just states that investors need to be investing in companies that can have those billion dollar outcomes because the risk adjusted basis for getting involved in a venture fund is such that so many of those companies fail and the only way to make it worth the risk um, is by having only billion dollar outcomes. So that, that's kind of a third point to bring up. If, if you can't see a path to um, owning a huge part of the market and the market being massive, then you're, you might not have the opportunity to even pursue this path in the first place. So it's recognizing that, you know, that first, that as well. I think that you just have to be like obsessed with solving that problem. Like there are just so many challenges that come up along the way, whether it's, you know, being a student and having, you know, tests, exams, you know, what have you pop up throughout the year or whether it's trying to balance a social life. You just need to be obsessed with with, build, with solving this problem and building a, a really, really big business um, uh, by solving that problem. And if you're not, then you will likely not be able to make it through a lot of those challenging times, whether it's a key team member leaves, whether it's, uh, you know, one of your investors, you know, doesn't follow on in a future financing round, whether it's, you know, it takes you a year to even get investment in the first place. You know, on average, it takes six to nine months just to close a, a venture financing round. So to make it through some of those gruesome times uh, is you really just have to be in love with the problem that you're solving. And you have to be in love with the work that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not, you know, everyone loves seeing the, the TechCrunch headlines, you know, X company raises $50 million to solve this problem. Most people don't realize that, you know, you have to, it, it takes a long time and it's not that common, or it, 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 you know, to be in those shoes, but it takes a really, really long time to get there. And you have to love the day-to-day -day. and the day-to-day -day is reporting to all those different quote-unquote managers. The day-to-day -day is like, you know, knocking on doors and getting rejected by 10 customers only to find like one that might be interested in what you're doing. And the list goes on. And so it's not this fruitful, uh, you know, like ha always happy lifestyle. It's, it really is tough and it's mentally taxing. And when you have investors that have extremely high expectations and you have a team that you need to constantly keep the morale high while also being vulnerable and transparent, it's just a constant battle of, of uh, you know, with yourself, of just trying to, you know, be, um, and to make it through again, like I said, you have to be totally in love with what you're doing. So I know it's a, a long uh, answer to a short question, but I, I hope that's helpful. There is no short answer to that. There's so much that has to be unpacked. There's so much more that I, I could unpack there, but I'll, I'll want to touch on a few things that you said. So you talked about all these different stakeholders that you have to quote unquote report to. There's your uh, investors that are expecting that billion dollar outcome and the whole venture strategy of putting money into, 20, let's say an average fund is like 20 different companies, expecting probably 10 of those to completely go bankrupt and fail, a few of them to get a two, three, four X return, and then have those one or two that make those 10, 20 X returns that make them make their fund a success. And so every every dollar that they put in, every every I guess it depends how big the fund itself is. But you're right. There's massive expectations from investors. Customers are only going to pay for your service if it's truly solving their problem. And so when they have an issue with your company, 
uh, and your software, your tech, if it's you know if it's a tech like Bus Right is, they're going to be complaining to you. You've got employees that rely on you. There are so many stakeholders involved in the day to day. So I think you touched on all the massive, massively important points on entrepreneurship. How it's definitely glorified these days. Everyone wants to be one. What it really is is pushing through adversity for the majority of the time. And and as a follow up to that, I'd love to ask: Can can you tell me just a typical day? in your life as the CEO of BusRite? Every week is, is somewhat different. Right? So I could be in, it really just depends on the time of the year and you know what is top of mind and, and what our company goals are. So right now we're kicking off our next financing round. So putting together the materials needed, whether it's an investor deck, whether it's your you know, updated financial model, investment memo, the list goes on in terms of what you actually need to incorporate into your data room. Um, and so Right now, it's just you know trying to crank away to to get meetings with um, you know potential investors and you know reengage some of our previous investors and hear what's going on in the market in the world of kind of early stage financing and kind of take it from there. But uh, you know, it's just uh, like I said a lot in terms of fundraising, it's totally different to have ten calls with investors than to have twenty calls with uh, potential customers. For me, my strong suit is, is selling a vision. My strong suit is really understanding the problems that our customers have and just using our solution to kind of fill in those gaps. You know, so I can jump on those 10 calls with, with not a lot of prep. But when you talk about having 10 calls with investors in one day, that's, you know, hours and hours of, of preparation because each one of those calls is extremely important because you might not, they might not lead to a next call if you do poorly or they don't like what they hear or, or you know, the list goes on and what can go wrong. And, you know, I think the, the hard truth is that most founders uh, or co-founders don't scale with, with a business. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the needs at different stages in the company life cycle are wildly, wildly different. So, um, you know, I'm trying to just educate myself as much as possible on, on what our company goals are and why. That's great. Yeah. So basically every day, every day is different prioritizing of certain things over others when it's, when it's timely to do so is probably a part of your daily life. Yeah, exactly. I think priority is key. And I think the next thing I'd love to speak about is uh, your pivot during the pandemic. So pivots in general during down markets, world encompassing problems like a global pandemic, millions of people are out of jobs. Companies are going bankrupt of all sizes, startups all the way to brand name, long-standing firms. And the only way to survive is to adjust, or another way to say that is pivot. And you at you and your team at BusRite did a pretty incredible thing during the pandemic. So I would love to hear uh, uh, to hear you tell that story. Yeah, definitely. So it was an interesting time for us, um, given that we had signed this partnership with the ninth largest bus company in the United States a couple of weeks before the pandemic hit. And so we were just starting to roll out uh, with, uh, you know, on some of their vehicles. And all of a sudden, we hear that <laughs> there's this national health crisis. School districts were shutting down. They were going remote. Buses were no longer being utilized. And so, you know, you kind of sit there and think to yourself, wow, I've been working, you know, all these years to get to this point where we, you know, we have no way of, of even getting on these school buses and impacting these districts. And our primary use cases, um, you know, non-existent right now. 
But what we quickly learned over the course of the week was that school buses were also being repurposed to deliver meals to the 51% of students on free and reduced meal plans across the country. And so we realized that those transportation directors pretty much had to spin up an entirely new route overnight. They had to provide new navigation to these drivers and communicate with those families about, you know, when their child's going to get new instructional material or meals or, or what have you. So that was an interesting use case for our technology, given that since day one, we've been building out a, a way to create a more dynamic slash fluid kind of student transportation system. And so we ended up spinning up fleets in New Jersey and Ohio to complete that exact task. But uh, a couple weeks later, a article came out from the Wall Street Journal that was headlined, you know, your local bus driver has COVID and is delivering your child's homework and, and you know, meals. And that didn't go over, go over well for the industry. And so a lot of those operations shut down. So you'd think that the first, uh, you know, punch to the gut we had was that school buses were no longer on the road. The second punch to the gut was that now they can't even be purposed for this, uh, you know, impactful use case. So at that point, I was talking to, you know, some other friends who, who you know, run uh, small businesses in the area. And one of them was actually a, a local oyster farmer who was trying to figure out how to go from, you know, wholesale uh, all the way to direct to consumer. So what I mean by that is if you're an oyster farmer, you traditionally transport, you know, a thousand oysters to each customer site. Uh, that might be a restaurant, or, you know, et cetera. But now you basically have to take those 1,000 oysters, and those restaurants are no longer open. So you have to find a way to get them directly to your customers. And that type of tool to take those parameters, such as stop addresses, vehicles on the road, customers, et cetera, and basically build a routing table from scratch, that's pretty much what we've been building since day one. And so we ended up spinning up that fleet in a week. Uh, it went well. And then over the course of three months, months we partnered with um, various different small businesses to deliver uh, over $300,000 worth of coffee, donuts, oysters, et cetera, um, to more than 4,000 homes, hospitals, and community centers across the Northeast. So it was a great way for us to impact those kind of businesses that were hurting during this period. And it was also a great way for our technology to, um, you know, continuously be tested in this time where school buses weren't really on the road. And so we always knew that throughout this process, you know, our North Star was figuring out a way to you know, increase bus safety and efficiency at, uh, on a school bus. And so we weren't going to pivot into this market. Uh, we did not change the technology to fit this market because we didn't have the product, uh, truthfully, and or the team to win in this market. So we knew that schools were going to open at some point, um, and they did. And so, uh, you know, soon enough, we ended up closing down the, the delivery part of what we were doing because... Uh, you know, we really wanted to help those school districts get back on their feet. And so with a few months to go until the fall reopen date, uh, school districts had, you know, several different reopen scenarios that they were considering. And there, there you had those transportation directors looking at all these scenarios and saying to themselves, it takes me months just to put together a routing table and train my drivers on one of these scenarios, let alone 10 to 15 of them. And so that's where the industry kind of got pushed to its brink when they figured out that pen and paper routing or antiquated software just simply couldn't do the job. And that's where kind of, you know, bus rate came into play where, you know, we went, we, we put our gas in the, uh, put our foot to the pedal and tried to uh, reach out to as many school districts as possible. And that's kind of what has led to, you know, our recent growth of over 260% month over month since uh, the start of the pandemic, which if you had asked me back then what would happen over the next several months, uh, this is not it, but we're excited to see the team uh, be able to, to uh, be flexible during this period.
That is incredible. 260% month over month during a pandemic when buses were shut down, um, schools were closed. It's pretty incredible. It's, it's, this pivot is such a great example of how to adapt and move forward even during the worst of times as an entrepreneur. And I think the coolest thing about that for you is that you didn't have to change the technology. Um, all you had to change was the use case, which you didn't even really have to do since the it kind of stared you right in the face and the, um, and the other uh, counterparties that you were working with needed it so bad, solving that issue that was so badly needed. So not only did you not change the technology that you have, you changed the use case and then still were able to get your brand out there. The brand identity is definitely stronger than it was prior to. And you're right. I'm sure this tested the technology as a whole, which is incredible. That really is such a great story. Thank you. No, it's, you know, looking back on it, it's easy to sum it up in, in a couple of minutes, but it was uh, definitely not a, not an easy situation to be in because, um, you know, we never knew exactly when schools were re- reopening, quite frankly. And, you know, we didn't know what was in store for us uh, in, in the coming months. So it was frightening and challenging and, and sometimes rewarding uh, all at the same time. For sure. I can't even imagine. You're right. Easy to sum up, but that's from the outside perspective. And um, I'd love to talk about the, the value of attending college uh, for an entrepreneur. So you came into college with the idea of bus right because you had found this issue back while you were still in high school. What, in your opinion, is the value of attending college for an entrepreneur, one whose business is has a reasonable expectation to succeed, which um, a lot of people can say that from an early stage, but is it any, is the value any different than an MBA where like the relationship creation with peers and professors ends up being one of the most valuable outcomes? It's a good question. It's something I think about quite often. So I think that in the case of bus rights specifically, uh, when I had this idea around, um, you know, creating bus right I came to Northeastern I enrolled in the Husky Startup Challenge which is your traditional kind of college startup pitch competition and we were fortunate enough to come into first place and while it was only a $2,500 check at the time it felt like more money than, than I could imagine it really you know meant a lot in terms of feeling confidence and validation and kind of pushing this venture forward and on top of that it kind of put our name on the radar uh, for other kind of clubs and organizations on campus and just folks in the broader Boston ecosystem. So from that competition, we ended up getting accepted to, you know, different software development shops on campus, different product development studios. Um, we got accepted as a client of like the IP Collab and the Community Business Clinic, which helps set up our uh, corporation and so on and so forth. So I think that from a resource perspective and a learning perspective, just a, a great environment to, to build a business. Uh, I will also mention that Northeastern has a phenomenal co-op program where essentially you take six months off three different times to work at a company. It's called a co-op and you're a full, you're a full-time employee. You're not a student. You're not paying tuition. And if you want to build a business, you know, you have to, being inside of a, of a company is really helpful to learn how to manage people and, you know, office dynamics and, 
you know, in my case, what, what my first call was at Mass Mutual Ventures being on the deal team there. And so I was able to work on several different transactions, work with some incredible founders at the Series A level. And that is invaluable. I don't think we, were, we would be able to raise a, success, a successful first round if, if we never had that experience being on the other side of the table. So in the Northeastern example, I think that it really stressed putting you out in the real world. And that has proven very beneficial for my own personal development and also the growth of bus ride. In, in terms of Northeastern, kind of being in Boston, like right smack in the middle of Boston, you have access to you know some of the best investors in the country. You have access to great accelerators, uh, talent, and the list goes on. And so that allowed us to be a part of the underscore VC Summer Accelerator. So we were one of 10 companies to go through that program last year, which you know further gave us confidence and validation of what we were doing and really the, the headspace to focus on bus rate full time um, in this kind of structured environment. So that was an acceleration point for us too. While that's not directly correlated to, to being in college, it is you know being in a college town where there's a lot of great talent and a lot of phenomenal resources to help student founders and other founders just in general. So when I think back to the actual curriculum and material that I've learned in my classes, um, it's hard to pinpoint you know one thing that has been relevant to building bus right. Um, but when I think about like the relationships that I've made in college and the resources kind of out of that class setting, that is invaluable. There are many, many resources, as you phrased it, especially at schools that have really good entrepreneurship programs, are in an area where entrepreneurship is at large more prevalent than other areas, which Boston is most definitely one of those areas. Um, so there are, there's most definitely value in the education. You talked about the co-ops, but let's talk about that. Your the co-op is the opportunity to get the professional experience and that counting for, for an entire semester's credit. Now, an entrepreneur like yourself is taking advantage of that as in co-oping at your own company for the semester. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So like I mentioned, my first co-op was at Mass Mutual Ventures, and then my second co-op, the university through the Sherman Center, um, it's pretty much just like the Center for Engineering Entrepreneurship on campus, they fund a few students to work on their ventures for their co-op. So we were fortunate enough to be a part of that program. And then I, I basically petitioned the university to do a back-to-back co-op and accelerate my final kind of third co-op uh, to do back-to-back, like I mentioned. So I'm now serving as the entrepreneur in residence for the Sherman Center, where I can you know, work on bus rate full time while also, you know, contributing to the, the venture progress slash development of these students who are in the broader uh, Sherman Center. That's amazing. That's great. It, it's cool that you can take advantage of that while still uh, on the road to obtaining your degree, which is great. Yeah, um, trying. <laughs> trying. Hey, you got to do what you can, right? One of the things that I know I don't do enough on this show is is exploit actionable advice. And and that's something I've been focusing on more recently. So I want to be able to do that uh, for for listeners to take advantage of. So I'll ask you, what's one actionable step that a college student who aspires to be an entrepreneur entrepreneur can take? One actionable step. It could be anything. Yeah, well, I'll I'll, uh, provide this answer presuming that that student knows there's a problem that they want to solve. Once you know there's a problem that you want to solve, Go talk to those customers. Go talk to 10 customers tomorrow 
that would benefit from your potential solution. Just go talk to them, right? So go, whether you're creating a tool um, that could be beneficial for like the remote work environment, go call friends, family, you know, college students, uh, you know, young professionals, you name it, and get their feedback on what you're thinking about and try to distinguish whether it's a, a real problem, so like a need to have versus a nice to have. Uh, you know, I've heard the analogy where you want to be like a painkiller and not a vitamin, and you want to be a solution where people need what you know your your solution, and they don't just and they don't just want it. So, I think that the first step is just to go out and talk to people and, and just validate that there is in fact a, a universal problem there. I love that painkiller, not a vitamin. I've never heard that one before. I like that though. That makes sense. You need to be solving a problem that hurts, something that is truly a pain. Uh, that can be solved. So that's really cool. I like that. Oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, just to elaborate on that, when you're solving a problem that's a nice to have, you know, you're the first thing to, to get to go, uh, you know, when budgets are short. And so when you're solving something that's that's a need to have, um, then, then it's a totally different conversation. True. You're going to be ingrained in that budget. It's not even going to be a consideration for you getting cut because it's so such a necessity for them and I'd love to speak about what the future of bus ride looks like. What's your vision for the future? Uh, so the vision is to, is to safe and efficiently transport 50 million K-12 students across the country uh, and solve this problem that is the $25 billion school bus market. Um, and so the vision, when I say to transport 50 million K-12 students, unfortunately, you have a lot of students that are traveling, you know, one, two, sometimes three hours just to get to and from school. Which is, which is unacceptable because they might be taking public transit, they might be taking school bus, carpooling, or all of the above just to get to that end destination. And school buses are wildly inefficient in and of themselves. And none of those systems actually talk to each other. But the way in which students move is highly predictable. And it's a massive market. And so we want to be the, the go-to app when you're thinking about uh, coordinating a carpool to school, whether you're thinking about, you know, where's my school bus this morning, or you're like, hey, I go to a private school that's an hour and a half away, or I go to a charter school or what have you. How do I get there in the, in the most efficient way possible? Oh, I can take a school bus for the first 20 minutes. It'll drop me off here. Then I'll take a train for the next 30 minutes, et cetera. So we really want to link all those systems that have traditionally kind of brought students to and from school. So they don't actually currently accommodate their, uh, their movement as it stands. Wow. Yeah, that's a great vision. Uh, you're solving issues for so many different stakeholders, whether that's the students themselves getting home quicker, the parents knowing where their students are, the bus companies being more efficient, the districts saving money overall. It's a massive problem that you're solving. And I'm really, really excited to uh, see where you go with it. Thank you. Thank you. Back at you. <laughs> And so the the last question here is uh, any do you have any advice for for college students, um, or you can also speak on anyone who just wants to become an entrepreneur. I mean we've covered so much, but is there anything regarding those uh, those uh, viewers? Yeah, I guess my parting words will be, it's never the right time because you should never be ready to go out. Like you'll you'll never be the right time to break off and do something you know, on your own, it'll never be the right time to fundraise. 
it'll never be the right time to close that first customer. You're always going to feel that, oh, you know what? My solution isn't 100% buttoned up yet. And one, two, three years go by, and then maybe the solution is buttoned up, and you're not as excited about the, that problem anymore. Or, you know, life throws a lot of different <laughs> curveballs at you. So just jump on them like as soon as possible. If you really want to do it, just do it now because it's never, ever going to be the right time. We're, we're not in the best, like, best position to, to fundraise right now, given that K, the world of K-12 is so ambiguous. But we're going to do it anyway. We're not in the best position to be hiring um, up the wazoo and from our t- technology side of things. But we're going to do it because we need to. Um, and so uh, it's just uh, you just have to recognize that you're always going to be uncomfortable and for me, being uncomfortable means I'm anxious and it means I'm, I'm sweating through my palms all day long. And that's what you sign up for. Amazing. Keith, this has been great. Uh, I, I'm going to imagine there's going to be some listeners that would like to reach out to you and connect with you. If, if they wanted to do so, where would be the best place to contact you? Yeah, um, you can always reach me at Keith at BusRight.com. Again, that's K-E-I-T-H at B-U-S-R-I-G-H-T.com. Quite responsive over email, so I'm happy to answer any questions or be helpful in any which way. Amazing. Keith, thank you so much for the time. Really excited to release this episode, and once again, great catching up with you. You got it, Ben. Talk to you soon. Alright guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode and make sure to share this with your friends. If you haven't done it yet, give us a follow on Spotify and Instagram at aspire underscore inquire to take on this journey with us. That being said, stay tuned to next Thursday because you will not be disappointed. Peace.